I'm Charlie Keegan. I'm Adam Pendlebury. I'm Pete Reese. I'm Paul Thorpe. I'm Barry Worthington, and this is the Progress with Unity podcast. Relegation confirmed at the Carlisling Stadium on Saturday with a one-all draw against Reading. Been coming. Been coming since about three weeks into Colo Torres' reign. And to be quite honest, looking back right to the beginning of the season when we got a nil-nil draw at home against Preston and a one-one draw away at Norwich, people were already talking then about the lack of quality in the team and that the best we could hope for would be to stay up and we would be doing that on the base basis of a team spirit and, and a huge amount of effort from the players. I think the first two matches showed what the pattern of our season was going to be and that's the way it's turned out. With the lack of goals possibly I think. The Preston game I think was pretty even wasn't it and I think the Norwich game we played okay but in, in neither of those games did we really look like scoring goals and I think in probably the first 10 games at home we looked very poor and it took us a while didn't it to get to get going at home, really, probably until Maloney, we didn't get going at all at home. And that, that's where, you know, under Paul Cook in the Championship, we were particularly strong. That's when we were terrible away. For me, it's been, up until the last two or three games, that never really believing that we could score more than one goal. Whereas mm-hmm. I think the last three games, there has been a bit of belief that we could. That home form was a bit of a Achilles heel, weren't it? Yeah, we didn't get a, a win at home until Blackburn, did we? And, and that was like, you know, it was well into the season by that stage. And it just felt like we just couldn't break teams down at home. And I think that's where you mentioned there, Peter, about lack of quality. And that's where you need a little bit of quality when teams are defending deep and, and congesting spaces. And we just didn't seem to have that quality to, to break teams down at home. You're right in saying that obviously we've still got one game to go, but have we only scored more than one goal twice at home? this season Millwall and Blackpool scored two in both of them didn't we I think that's it and I, and I think Sean Maloney quite rightly over the last couple of weeks has pointed to a lack of creativity in the team there's a strong reason why we haven't ultimately been scoring goals and I think that's a problem that went back even to last season I never thought we were particularly creative I mean we did score a good number of goals in the end but we were quite good at pressing, at, at wearing teams down, set pieces, but and I never thought we were a particularly creative team. We didn't really have any, many creative players around. Yeah, like a lot of other things, it just wasn't addressed in the summer in the transfer market. That's why we've ended up where we are. I mean, the problem with that is that as it later transpired, there was no money left to spend in the summer transfer market. It's all well and good criticising him for not strengthening. What with? I think too too much of the money was already, was already tied up in overinflated wages and especially uh, overinflated wages being paid to people that probably haven't shown their value. Ah, some some of them are on loan in Scotland, don't they? Oh, yeah. Let's, yeah. Fa- let's face it. Confirmed at Reading. So we'll have a little look at the Reading game and a little chat about what, what went on down there. And to be honest, I, I thought not too bad at all, especially the second half. I thought the second half was quite exciting. The, the stats from the game, Reading had 57% of the possession. We had 43. Reading 21 attempts to Latics 11. On target, Reading 5, 2, Lassix 4. Corners, Reading 13, 2, Lassix 3. Fouls, Reading committed 7, we committed 13, but they picked up two yellow cards. We picked up one. 
max power and an attendance of 21,919. Those stats sort of show that we was under the cosh a little bit, but I don't think they really reflect the game. First half, I thought we defended a little bit deep. Uh, second half, we came out from the word go and just got out. I think we had two or three chances in the first two minutes. Remember that Redden isn't an easy place to actually go to because, yeah, their away form has been really poor, but the home form has been pretty good at the moment. After that game, they've picked up 38 or 44 points at home. So shows have been the dominant side there. And it was always going to be a scrappy one. I believe it was sold out or near enough sold out with all the seats as well. So very intense atmosphere. Both teams scrapping for something. And obviously they started on the better foot, but I was I was pleased to see that Wigan kind of grew into the game and, and got a bit better towards the end. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to, to score and then concede right at the end. I thought it was a perfect away performance. Uh, the way we set up was very good. Look, in any game of football, if you play in a side that it has got some quality players in it, Reading, albeit they're not showing it, you're always going to concede chances and that's that's why you have a goalkeeper. They're going to have to make a couple of saves, but I thought defensively we were really strong. So we weren't really wasteful in possession, so it wasn't sort of the intense pressure that you do get if you keep giving the ball away. In the second half, because Reading are panicking, you're always going to, they're going to lose their adrenaline. And we really grew into the game and I thought we looked very dangerous on the break. Uh, the stats don't really show that, but I think, to me, I, I think it was a perfect away performance for the for the championship. I mean, I think Reading, if it wasn't last week, the week before, I'm sure they drew at home to Burnley as well, nil-nil. Not an easy place to go to, and I, I thought it was would have been a perfect 1-0 win in the championship, and it's just a pity it ended like it did. Yeah, I think Burnley are getting uh, investigated over that, aren't they, for not trying or, or not uh, putting out a, a proper team. Talking of not trying, just quickly mention uh, Miguel Aziz, his brother Femi played for, for Reading, and at the end of the game, confront along with his dad, confronted Sean Maloney on the pitch. I'm not 100% sure what went on there, but I think it got a little bit unsavoury, and it's probably just a good job that Graham Barra wasn't with Sean Maloney at the time, or they might have been picking two, the two Azizis up off the floor. Weird, weird. And we've got to talk about that goal of Charlie Hughes's. His first professional goal in senior football. A well-worked free kick, a nice little move. Uh, obviously, what's on in the uh, training ground. Great header from Charlie at the far post, but his reaction when he scored it, you could say, I'm sure there were tears. It was just so much passion there for the club. What a, what a fantastic moment that was. Not just for just for Charlie, but for for the all of the fan base as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And 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 on and on the goal itself, absolutely textbook in his finishing. He put it across the goalkeeper, headed it downwards, got a bounce, and and there's no no chance of a goalkeeper getting to that. Absolutely first class goal was another another assist for James McLean as well, wasn't it? He nearly had a, another assist with a chance I created for Wange just oh, outside okay. the six yard box, and we with another three chances though. What more Lang and Sinani, all with efforts that perhaps they felt they could have made more of than what actually they did, mm. and. And then we, you know, we're out of sight. The goal, I thought it was a free kick. Joe definitely went into him nine times out of ten in the six-yard box. They're given as a foul on the keeper. I agree. I, I think I think it was more of a fumble than a foul. But, but almost every other referee you could have come across would have probably blown up for that. But where's I wonder where the line is though? Because if you stay on your line and somebody runs into you, we've seen it. With Callum Lang does it time and time again, and then it's given as a foul. 
did the referees look at it saying that, all right, you've come off your line. Jamie, this is speaking of Jamie Jones. You've come off the line, you've run into the box, you know where players are and you've essentially tried to dive to get something on it and then there's a clash. Is that the reason that the ref didn't give it or should it not matter? But either way, you know, did Jamie Jones really need to come and try and get that? Should he left it to defenders once the ball had dropped? Should somebody have just gone in and tried to clear it? There's, I don't think it's all Jamie Jones's fault. No. But you know, it's just it's a bit it's just a messy situation, isn't it? And how many times have we've conceded scrappy goals this season and right at the end it's 93rd minute or something daft that, that we do it again and it relegates us. One thing about that referee on, on Saturday, we've had him previously, we've had him four times previously. So we know a little bit about him. Ex-professional football player. So maybe he did let a little bit more go than what other referees who haven't played the game did. He was the guy who sent Joe Bennett off, if you, if you cast your mind back to the Birmingham game at the start of the season, yes. which he held his hand up and said he got it wrong on re- in retrospects, and he, and he apologised to Liam Richardson at the time. But I don't think in the games that we've had him, he's been that bad. He refed us against Sheffield United away. I thought he was all right in that game. He refed us against Birmingham, which I've, I've mentioned. He refed us against Blackpool at all. If you remember Curtis Tiltler barged his way into, into the goal area and scored a goal. We'd won well, we'd won three games with him in charge going into into that Sheffield United game. It'd been a bit of a lucky referee, but there was nothing mind you, when you're winning, you, you always think the referees are all right, don't you? <laughs> it's when you lose, you're pulling your ear right. Team selection, right? You think we went with the best team possible? Not yeah, chance you could do really. Yeah, yeah mm. about that really. It's uh, emerged that Ashley Fletcher had to have an operation on his on his elbow this week as well from a sustaining a serious injury against Millwall. I think that's off to him, really, because he's coming for a little bit of stick from some sections of the supporters for, well, the assumed effort that he puts in. And I think listening to Doc Torbin last week on what he said about him, it was a really nasty injury and they tried to get him off the pitch, but he, he refused to go. He wanted to stop on and play. So that's off to Ashley, Ashley Fletcher there, I think. You could see he was playing through pain. Didn't move his elbow at all. He was in the running movements. His elbow was almost locked in place. Sinani back as well, following a hamstring injury. Said we wouldn't see him again. He came on. He looks a little bit rusty, but I think he, he's got a bit of spark about him and he brings something different to the team. When we took Teehee off and brought Asgard on, at that moment I thought, oh, we'll consider the midfield here. Because I thought Teehee had been playing quite okay and he, he, there was a lot going on in midfield. Obviously, Sean Maloney knows what he's doing. I thought Asgard was, was very good yesterday and he made a sensational block as well towards the end of the game. Tracked back really well into yeah, the did, area. Fantastic stuff. So what does Barry Worthington know? Not a lot. Man of the match, as voted for by our listeners on both Facebook and Twitter, Latics number 32, golden boy, goal scorer, Charlie Hughes. Fantastic season for Charlie. A very, very good performance again yesterday. I thought he was exceptional and a well-deserved man of the match. I can lead. Quickly on that, I think what, what shows how good his temperament is, that all players make errors in games. It's how you recover. Do you remember he lost? He lost the ball, didn't he, at, at, at one point, and gifted them a chance. But the bravery in football isn't going in for the big tackles. It's receiving the ball again, and he was perfectly happy to receive that ball again. And I think that's really the sign of a, of a, a really good player because it's not just it's not just the physical attributes; it's in the head as well. And I think he's definitely got that. We've already mentioned we got relegated. We got stung with a. A late, late goal, which 
confirmed our relegation. And to be honest with you, I'm pleased it's happened whilst we were playing uh, because if it hadn't happened yesterday, it would have been confirmed today because Othersfield won away at Cardiff. It would have felt a little bit... Ugh. I just think it's better when you're actually playing a game and you can console each other at that time and, and it just feels, feels better. It feels like we stayed up, really, because Lee Nichols played... And uh, Edmunds Green was on the bench. So it's like Wigan stayed up. Speaking of Lee Nichols, one thing we've not mentioned here from the Reading game was Jamie Jones's save against Joe. Yeah. What a save Ab- that was. Absolutely terrific. Some people said it didn't matter because he was offside. Well, it weren't Joe who was offside. It, it was it was the guy who chased the ball afterwards. If that had gone in the oh, net, okay. it was a goal. The, the line all flagged for the next stage of the game. He oh, was okay. onside. After the game, Sean Maloney was interviewed. I've seen a, a, an interview on Latix TV and also on BBC Manchester, and he looked really upset, absolutely gutted. And it shows that he cares, and there's a lot of passion there, a lot of passion. But with that in mind, so some people have actually questioned Maloney. Is he the right guy? Can he change us? Can he improve us? Well, I've done a little bit of looking at the points per game since Maloney's actually come in. We've had 17 games under Sean Maloney, of which we've won four, drawn seven, and lost six. Now, you consider the run we was on before he came in. I mean, there was only one trajectory there, and that was going through the floor. So he's he's actually managed to put the brakes on and turn it around. Points per game, 1.1. Now, you think 1.2 two points per game would actually get you 13th spot this season. So that's how close we are under Sean Maloney to having quite a decent championship finish. The 18 games prior to him coming in, if we go back to to the 1st of October when we won away at Rotherham 2-0, up until Sean Maloney coming in, we played 18 games, we won two and drew two and we lost 14. And the points per game ratio from that was 0.44 recurring. So that's how bad it were. Pretty shocking, really. Maloney's 1.1 equates to 51.5 points over the season, which, again, is not not that bad a return. 93, 2013, 2015, 2017, 2020, and now 2023 are the only times that Latics have actually been relegated. I I think 17 games uh, that uh, Sean Maloney's had, it's it's a a reasonable number of games to, to be able to look at and think, Okay, what what do we make of that? You know, it's not it's not three or four games. It's not it's not even less. You know, it's not even less than ten. And I think to to look at his stats, you know, four wins and seven draws out of those uh, out of those seventeen games. I, th- I think given the quality we've got, it's not a bad return at all. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. When you look at how many points Richardson picked up at the start of the season, he got twenty points from twenty games. Rob Kelly got three points in his only game, so the best average of any manager so far. Carlo Torre got two points from seven games without a win, and it was a complete shambles. And then Sean Maloney picked up a side that was scrapping for anything. They had no confidence. There was barely anything in the side. He came in with, what, a week left of the transfer window, was it, or something daft like that? And he's come in, and then he's already on 19 points. So he's a point behind Richardson with a game left, having played less games. And to do that with a side that he's inherited, that was running on empty and then to put something together to, to even if you said under Colo Torre that it would be in with a shout at keeping safe in the championship with a couple of games to go I'd have laughed because I thought there's no chance of this trajectory we're on but Maloney kind of got spirit in it you know he's got the fan base back together and I do I do feel positive going into league one under him but it's also important that this squad isn't his 
it was half of Liam Richardson's or the majority of Liam Richardson's, plus then a bit of Colo Torres. And I think, what, did Maloney bring in one or two players right at the end of the window? So it's not a squad that he's pieced together. He clearly has the the knowledge of what he wants to do with the side. He understands that the academy is going to be a big part and he's going to have to work within tough financial constraints because we won't have the money to go and spend. But I think give him the summer, give him the transfer window, give him a pre-season, and I think we'll... I think we'll be pleasantly surprised next year with what, what Maloney can do. I'm not expecting us to go right into the top of the automatic promotion spots, but I really do like the way it's going under Maloney. And I think that people just need to give him time and, and understand the restrictions he's in. I just wanted to add quickly to that on um, in terms of Sean Maloney and the luck really that we had, you know, losing probably our marquee defender in, in the first game. You know, after 70 minutes, he was brilliant. That that could have got us an extra point or two. We sat, we had to sign players who were unfit because the net, we didn't have a lot of money. Sinani wasn't fit when he came in. As soon as he got fit, two or three games, he was exceptional. Then he gets injured. We needed him in that type of game like Blackpool that was very tight. Just going back to Barry's points about the relegation, Tottenham used to always talk about important things happening in years ended in one. Well, think about years ending in three. So 1953, biggest ever crowd, Springfield Park, biggest ever crowd between two non-league sides outside of Wembley ever. 1973, Wembley final against Scarborough. Barry could get something for 83, but I haven't got anything. 93 was uh, our first ever relegation. 2003, record points, 100 points, promotion to the championship for the first time. I think most of us on here will work out why 2013 uh, is an important year. Um, we'll leave that to the listeners to work out. But we were relegated in that year for the first time from the Premier League. Something else did happen. And now in 2023, 20, another relegation. So if anyone can find anything that happened in uh, 63, uh, 83, I guess 33, Barry attended his first game. But um, no, I think yeah. it was Charles who... who uh... Attended his first game in 1933. <laughs> um, the thing is, something happens every every year, doesn't it? With us, you know, there's no not many sort of fallow mid-table years. Whatever number you put at the end, there's going to be plenty of significant events. You're right, miserable sod, you aren't you? I think it's worth making the the point. You know, where we said that was our first ever relegation in 1993. The point was, I think that we then went 20 years without being relegated because when Whelan took us over, we were in the old fourth division and he took us all the way up to the top and we stayed there for eight years so uh, an awful lot of our fans up until 2013 hadn't experienced a relegation unfortunately we just had quite a few of them since 1983 i think david law made his debut for the last six in 83 did he oh good shot just off the top of my head that yeah i think you might be right yeah i suppose 33 was the end of our first season of course yeah Cheshire League champions first time we won a league so we just need 63 I'll tell you what happened in 1983 Sean Maloney was born there you go excellent Charlie I want to remind everyone about the player of the season vote for the progress with unity player of the season it's not been the best of seasons but there's still been something to celebrate and we have to give players accolades uh, for putting in, in uh, you know just putting the effort in really uh, so to vote on the Progress with Unity Player of the Season, email P-W-U-P-O-T-S at gmail.com. Mark your email 2023 and put your nomination in the body of the email. And just to help you decide if you're wondering who shall I vote for, just to maybe sway you a little bit, 
we've got some listeners have sent in their nominations. So let's just have a quick listen. Play of the season for this season has been Max Power. He gives his absolute all for this club. There's a reason that three managers have all put the faith in him. Max it is for me. And my player of the year is going to go to Charlie Hughes. Usually you see young players come into teams at the top of the table, high on confidence where other players can help them through, or they go to the lower divisions and apply their trade. But Charlie was thrown into a struggling team, low on confidence, poor results, and he hasn't looked out of place. For me, the player of the season has to be somebody who's featured regularly under all the managers that we've had and who's performed consistently well. There's one who I think in particular gives his teammates confidence, he's calm and unflappable and puts in good performances week after week and that is Super Jack Watmore. My play of the season is James McLean and I hope he stays for another year. My choice for Wigan Athletic player of the season would be Ben Amos. I think he's been the most consistent player all season. Some of the saves were match savers, so my choice player of the season would be Ben Amos. I think there's only two candidates, really. One, the young lad Charlie Hughes, who's hardly put a foot wrong, but he's not played every game this year. And I think the only person I can give it to, even though I'm not his biggest fan, really, is James McLean because of his season-long all-out effort. Tough one to call this year. But this player epitomises the Wigan Athletic spirit. Never say die attitude. He loves the club and always gives 100%. And in addition, he always winds up the opposition fans and players alike. My nomination is James McLean. I will be voting for James McLean. He has the heart of a lion. Hard as nails. Never gives less than 100%. And is always on the move. And also effective in both boxes. My player of the season, the ever-present, James McLean. So player of the season, well, I've struggled with this and I've flitted between a few players. Obviously Jack Watmore is colossal, but he's been in and out of the side with injuries this year. Charlie Hughes, he only came in in February, don't think we can call it for the season. You've got James McLean, who runs his blood to water week in, week out. Teehee, who just looks a superb signing. But for me, I'm going to go for... Will Keane. Very, very difficult. If I had to plump for one, I would possibly go for Will Keane by default due to the number of goals that he scored and perhaps um, being treated a little bit unfairly, not starting every game. There's many I can pick on. Charlie Hughes, what more? But I have thought about it and my play with the season is a player that's consistent. You can play him anywhere. You can play him left-back, you can play him wing-back, you can play him anywhere you want to play him, left-wing. So my player of the season is McLean. Goals, assists, commitment, 45 games, underpresenting all of them, a great competitor and a great player for us. James McLean is my player of the season. Come on, up the tick. Well, that was quite interesting. Uh, quite a few going for James McLean, though. Paul, last week, uh, mentioned James McLean's had a good season. I mentioned Will Keane last year as well. I'm good at advocating for the eventual winner. I'm a little bit surprised because I, I, I can, you know, always see the effort that James McLean puts in. and he's, he's obviously the first name on the team sheet and so on. And I just find him a frustrating player at times because... He's he's done it to me again yesterday. He's put in he's put in the cross that that got us our goal and put in another fantastic cross that nearly led to another goal. But I find so frustrating. So many of his, his other crosses from open play end up you know hitting the top of the stand and goodness knows what. And I, I just I just find him frustrating. He could be a lot better. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think Adam wanted to mention Tom Naylor, didn't you? Tom Naylor, for me, last year was the player of the season because I think kind of everything went through him. His stats were excellent. I think this season as well that he doesn't look like he's played a big part, but he's still taken part in, I think, over 37, 38 games in total. When he started a game, he hasn't let us down. He's played in a number of positions and he's kind of come on as a... a finisher in some games as well when we've been holding on for points or wins which is obviously rare occasions he's come on and done a job but he's also scored two goals in the league and one in the cup as well which for a defensive midfielder I think is is really good and he just seems to get in the right place at the right time which our other centre midfielders don't uh, Max Power I think has scored from the uh, spot and I don't think Christ has scored Tom Naylor I'm He's worthy of a mention, at least, because I think he's the solid pro and hopefully he'll still be here next year because I think he'll have a very good influence on the other players. Just a, a couple of things before we do wrap up today. Uh, support the Community Trust. Latics Community Trust is a charity and they have to fundraise. We're running a quiz night at Whelan's every Friday. £100 cash prize. This week it was won by Steve Harper. It's a really good quiz It's £2 per person to enter, and all that money goes to the Community Trust. 11th of May, FA Cup celebrations, £10 a ticket, organised by the Official Supporters Club. We're having a rerun of the FA Cup final with Roberto, Sean and the gang in the Sostan Bar. And again, it's supporting the Latix Community Trust. A couple of things to get involved with there. We might be relegated, but on this podcast, we are well and truly Happy clappers, and we don't mind saying that. But at the end of the day, well, we're, we're, we're not happy, are we? But we're, well, we, no. we, we are contextual. Don't clappers. interrupt me, Paul, when I'm in full flow, please. Thank you. At the end of the day, <laughs> this is our club, and we always look on the positive. And Paul looks on the positive more than anybody else, even though he's coming in with his size 12s and trying to kick me up, up the backside. Next season, we're going to have a great season in League One. Whether we get promoted or not is a different matter, but we're going to enjoy ourselves. Yeah, Conte- right contextual there. clappers, I like that. Until Wednesday, up the six and come on. Come on. Up the ticks. <laughs>